This is a Media 8 production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. So, yeah, so there was a post on Facebook and Michael, one of my other clients, tagged me in it and said, you know, these guys are looking for a driver. So I rang them and they're local blokes and went and had a yarn and went right oh and went racing. <laughs> it was great. That's the start of it. And that was the start of it. So, you know, they're fun events. You don't need any particular license or anything yeah. for them. They're fun events. But I was like, yeah, this is cool. So I'm like, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some more. The world is full of amazing people. And once a week, I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum, and this is Awesome Human. Today, my guest is a digital marketing and a Facebook lead generation specialist. He's the chief marketing officer for a cryptocurrency He loves talking to people about building their businesses through Facebook marketing, lead generation strategies, marketing consulting, social media marketing, workshop trainer, YouTube advertising. He's a speaker. He's done courses in this and that and all this other stuff. His favorite quote is, if you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. I met this guy about 10 years ago now at a network marketing event. Big fan of network marketing great way to lose friends and family and people that you like but it's a good business model and we met and uh, we hit it off straight away and uh, I'm very excited to have him in here to tell us his story. Welcome Paul Holland. Hey buddy. How are you champion? Good mate, good to be here. Sounds like someone's been reading my LinkedIn profile. Oh mate yeah, I I actually got that one written for I normally write them myself but I uh, I didn't do this one as you might be well aware. (laughs) Uh, Normally what I try and do is find um, the Wikipedia page but you don't have one. No I don't. Which is a good thing. Yeah, you know, you, you haven't made it when you've got a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, well, I'm here today. We want to hear about your amazing life story. So I'm going to ask you some questions and we're going to have a bit of a chat about you. So this sure. is one of those one of those things that's all about you. Oh, wow. We'll see where it leads us. So the thing I didn't add in there, he's now a race car driver. Yeah, boy. He's a happily married man. He's got a couple of kids and he's just an all-around good bloke. So let's go. What's your first ever memory? Go back as little far as you possibly can. What's your first ever memory? Um, about five years old. Five, yeah. Going to school. Going to school. Yep, going to school. Walking through the school gates. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Every little suitcase with you, and little oh, Stanley Stanford. Don't, don't remember that much detail. <laughs> <laughs> there's that one, and there's another one that's probably around about the same time, which is probably a much more exciting memory. Yeah. Is um, growing up in New Zealand. Um, you know, very much a rugby country, and. Uh, my grandparents lived in a country town and granddad was the uh, patron of the rugby club and I have a memory of getting absolutely fucking bowled over <laughs> on the sideline, <laughs> like five years old, on the sideline watching. Smashed by a rugby just player. someone, you know, a bunch of guys just <laughs> taking me out watching the Prems playing. <laughs> Good memory to have, though. Yeah, it's cool. So where did you grow up? Where were you born? I was born in a town called Blenheim, which is top of the South Island in okay. New Zealand. Uh, and then dad was in the air force. So as a youngster, we moved around a lot. I went to five different primary schools. Five. Wow. Yeah. Do you remember them all? Uh, Go. All, 30 all, seconds. Bang. Falls, Clifton, Stock, Sockburn. I'm missing one. Uh, I'm missing one. Three. And St. Mary's. And St. Mary's. I'm Sorry. missing one. Where did you spend the most time? Uh, St. Mary's, which okay. was the last, that was sort of the last couple of years of primary school and yeah. the first year of like what we call intermediate, like you know, middle school. Uh, and then, um, yeah, moved up to Wellington, which is the capital city, bottom of the North Island. And, uh, I started into high school there and my sister was a couple of years behind me. And when she started in high school, dad got out of the air force cause he decided that he wanted us to be stable and yep. have one high school. And what have you, you? stayed so in that the was same it. high school for the yeah, whole time? Yeah, so I stayed in the same high school and Wellington sort of where I call my hometown. So co-ed school? Yeah, co-ed Catholic. Okay. Yeah. So were you, um, were you a happy clapper? Yeah, so you were you were were you a good, bad, or ugly at school? Um, <laughs> which part of school? <laughs> uh, academically, I was good. Yeah, you know, got good marks. You're one of the naughty kids, though. Did extra subjects. No, I was I was the nerdy good kid. Nerdy good for the kid. most part of it. Um, got to the last couple of years of high school. You know, yeah. you know those top three years of high school, right? Yeah. So here it's year ten, eleven, and twelve, right? So year ten, you got your big exams and yep. everything. Fucking nailed it, mate. Did you? Yeah, did an extra subject, got five A's. I So I did six oh, subjects, yeah. so I got five A's and a, yeah. and a B. Uh, and then the following year, you know, we called it sixth form back then, but yeah. like year 11, the equivalent, 
uh, dropped the subject, got sort of, you know, C's. I started <laughs> drinking, met women, did all those names. <laughs> and then uh, year 12, seventh form as it was to us, was just the social year. I was the I was one of the first in the friend group to get a car. Okay, the social coordinator. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think – I think I sat one exam at the end of that year just because I thought I should and got like yeah. a 32 or something, but just did nothing all year. Like, I don't even know why I was at How school. How disappointed were your parents in you? Yeah, pretty, pretty <laughs> <heavily> disappointed. <laughs> it's funny. I was having this conversation a couple of weeks ago with someone and I actually, it's the first time I'd really realized this, but I should have left school at the end of year 11 yeah. and got out there. But, you know, I'd been academically good and the expectation was you finish school and things like that. And now we know, you know, it doesn't matter. No. You know, now as adults we know it doesn't matter. And I'll look back and go, you know what, I should have gone out at the end of year 11 and gone into a trade or gone into a apprenticeship or done something. Yeah. And that year, 1989. 1989. Great year. Great year, mate. Great year. Bon Jovi. <laughs> oh, Living on year. a prayer. Oh, I'm going to see Bon Jovi oils. in December. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, the oils. Oh, the oils were oh, going mate. off back then. Bit of barnstorming. Saw the oils back then. Actually, I saw the we oils saw, and Jimmy Barnes. I saw Barnes. you at the oils. You're you on the sunny coast? No. No, when was no. That? I didn't see you at the oils. But I saw the oils in Wellington and Jimmy Barnes. Barnstorming. Uh, barnstorming, 1988, mate. Yep. i tell you, I had a T-shirt from Barnstorming, and I, I like to collect that sort of stuff. And my wife hates that I collect that sort of stuff. Right? And I had this T-shirt, and three years ago, still had the T-shirt from 1988, yeah? <laughs> and I said, I guarantee, I bet you I can sell this on eBay. And she goes, no way in the world anyone would pay for that. Oh, it's not gosh. signed or nothing. It's just a 1988 barnstorming shirt. I would have bought it. Mate, boom. <laughs> Within an hour, it was gone. Yeah, I would have bought that. It made about 14 bucks, but that's not the point. I won the argument. That's all that matters. But barnstorming. So you uh, went to, finished high school, university or no university? Um there was a big push for me to go into tertiary education from mum and dad. To do what? Uh, anything. <laughs> just to go. <laughs> just to go. Go. So I um, yeah, I didn't know where I wanted to be. So I actually signed up for a, like, we call it Polytech, like a TAFE course yep. uh, in um, software engineering. Really? And, um, so straight out of school? Straight out of school. And I did half a year and I just, I wasn't digging it. So um, I got out of there and got a job with the Bank of New Zealand. Um, yeah, our story is so alike. I lasted a day in software engineering <laughs> at Wagga University, and then I left there and went back and got a job at National Australia Bank. That's funny. <laughs> I think I did half a year at tech out of guilt more than anything else, because <laughs> <laughs> Mum made wanted you to go. Yeah, it was funny. But no, I got a job at the Bank of New Zealand and um, did yeah, nearly did you enjoy that four years. There. Yeah, it was great. Um, yeah. I mean, I was through school. I was good with numbers, like I did accounting and economics and stuff at school. So the banking side of things, and then I was good with people. So I enjoyed that. And it was a good social environment, like the social environment back then. I don't know what it was like at NAB, but it was debauched and terrible. You know, we had a bar, we were in the main branch in Wellington, two levels underground. There was like the common area, the bar down there. And you know, every Friday you're drinking and then occasionally the bank had put on these big parties and they just got out of control. Like there were people having sex in the stairwells and shit, you know, it was just. Good old bank in New Zealand. It was loose. <laughs> but it was great. You know, we, we had a um, we had a mercantile cricket team. Yeah. We had an indoor cricket team. It was good times, you know. Good morale and stuff. 19 years old, just having a good time, drinking, making friends. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm still good mates today with a guy that started, he started a little while after me and, yeah, we're still really good mates today. That's clever, isn't it? It's like, it's, but do you get that anymore in business? Like. If you no. go and work at a bank now, it's definitely not the same as it used oh, to be. Oh, God, no. Like those good old days when we had expense accounts and stuff like that. that uh, there's no way that sort of stuff happens No, anymore. I think that sort of stuff probably happens on building sites and stuff. More than in banks. These days rather than in banks, yeah. yeah I no. just think the environment's so different. There's so few people. I walked into the Westpac at Broadbeach a couple of weeks ago. I had to mm. go and – I was banking a check. How's that? Someone check. sent me a check. No, I haven't seen a check in years. Yeah. <laughs> but I walked in there. And I stood there for five minutes in front of like empty teller windows. There was like no one there. And the birds saw me walking. I was just freaking standing there like a dickhead. Um, is someone going to serve me yeah. or what? You know, it's ridiculous. When you can I, use the teller machine, I got told. Go and oh, I found put that, that in after. yourself. Yeah. Like, no. When I worked at the Bank of New Zealand Wellington branch, we had 23 teller stations. Really? And, and they're lunch, all full at lunchtime, all the time. they were chocker. Yeah. Yeah. That's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah. But, mate, technology's taken over the world. Oh, yeah. So they say. Rumor has it. So, how come you left the bank? Um, I decided to go to university. Mm. Uh, I decided at that point that, you know what, I want to get now some you're 23 qualification. Odd. 23 odd. Yeah. 
um, decided I wanted to go to uni and get a qualification. So I was going to study uh, accounting. Yep. Uh, then I had a brain fart and actually applied for law. Um, I got, a, I had an interview and I got accepted for law. Yeah. So then I'm like, oh, do I do law? Do I accounting? So I, um, the bank paid me out. I didn't know this. This is young and stupid. Yeah. But of course they were taking a portion of the salary and they were co-contributing into like a superannuation fund. Yeah. So when I resigned, I got, I think it was about $14,000. Oh, wow. In 1993. <laughs> and I had a, a, a really good mate of mine was just heading off to Canada. He was in university and he was going over to Canada on like a work swap thing for, yeah. for the winter. So I'm like, right. <laughs> so I'm coming. That was my 14 grand. Gone. <laughs> so straight to Canada. Straight to Canada. Spent a winter in Canada just tripping around, met some people, um, you know, had, Work over there uh, or just nah, hold on? No, nah, I was just there for four months. I've got 14 grand, man. I'll last as long as I can. <laughs> yeah, I was, mate, I was just drinking booze and <laughs> skiing all day and having a great time. But I um, I came back, showed up to enrollment day at university and went, oh, yeah, no, nah, I don't think law is right. <laughs> Enrolled for accounting yeah. and uh, lasted one semester. <laughs> went, nah, I'm out of here. And then where'd you go? Um. I, for a little while, I worked in a servo. I'd been actually after school, I'd worked in a servo. So I went there and actually ran that during the, during the day. Uh, and then, um, yeah, found myself uh, enrolled in a course for um, film and TV production. At why, why film and TV? Was it just something you saw and thought, oh, gee, that'd be fun? Um, I didn't make the connection at the time, but growing up, mum and dad were really into musical theatre. You know, The King and I and The Sound yeah. of Music and all of that. So what do you say into it? What, watching oh, it or actually no, being in it? In it. In the yeah, place yeah. So I've, oh, wow. I've got photos of me on stage as a young fella, yeah. where um, dad was dad was playing the king and the king and I, and I was one of the king's children. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was seven or eight years old. Started the acting career. Um, and as I got to be a teenager, I got self conscious and uh, didn't want to be on stage anymore. So I got sort of behind the scenes and I got into lighting and I was doing lighting and technical and sound and things. So I didn't actually make the connection, but through my teens, I'd developed all those technical skills and I'd done lighting on school productions and things. Uh, okay, makes sense. So I was literally at the survey working and flipping through the newspaper and um, saw an ad for the course. I went, oh, that sounds interesting, without actually making a connection that it was something I already you sort already of knew. knew. Yeah. Um, yeah, so off I went and did it and loved it. Did that give you a qualification or it just gave, gave me a certificate? Certificate. In, in film, no, TV and video production. Oh, nice. Yes. Nice. So then where do you go from there? Do you get a job out of that? Um Got a job working for uh, the Trackside Channel, which is the horse racing Love it. channel. So that's my first job in television. This happens again. Yeah. I used to actually then video the dogs <laughs> on a Wednesday night. It was yeah. one of the six jobs I had at the time. Yeah. And I was in the production van videoing the oh, dogs. Oh, really? Yeah, well, no, well, that was my first job on the camera. <laughs> and we'd go to the horses and the dogs, yeah. do two or three meetings a week and just filming away. Uh, so that was my first gig. But no, I got a job uh, at a company called Rocket, a guy called uh, Rocky Hudson. Uh, became a really good mentor of mine uh, and I started at the bottom it was a rental facility so they rented out professional camera equipment okay. and things and I started out cleaning gear and building rental kits you know we need one of these and two of these and put them all in a box and, yeah. and shoving them out the out. front door and, uh, and then Rocky was a cameraman he started taking me out with him on the occasional job and sort of I sort of started to learn the process of being a camera assistant so I eventually decided to go out on my own freelancing as a camera assistant which was 1996 Seven, yeah, 21 years. I've been working for myself wow. ever since. Um, but yeah, so I started out as a camera assistant and then started getting the occasional opportunity to actually film something. Um, spent a lot of time at weekends making short films and music videos. Like that was, that was the path. Did you think? That was the, that was the path to progression. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, during the week I'd work as an assistant, but if I wanted to get a job as a cameraman, I had to prove myself. Oh, okay. And the way you did it was working for free on, on music videos and short films. Yeah. So that was my life. I'd, I'd be doing it seven days a week. Who was the biggest musician you did a video oh, clip for back then? Yeah. New Zealand bands. Um, yeah. I worked on a clip for a band called Head Like a Hole. Head Like a Hole. I Head love like the old 90s bands, though. Or She Hard. I don't know if you ever heard yeah, of She Hard. No, they've, no. they've sort of had a resurgence in recent years. Yeah. But yeah, it's sort of, you know, well-known New Zealand. People from the 90s in New Zealand, you know, they'll they, know, they they know those names, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, like Big Pig here in Australia and those sort of yeah, yeah. Screaming Jets and Screaming that sort of stuff. and that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah, so – that was great and I loved it because I was, you know, out being an assistant and like learning and soaking up the environment 
from these cameramen I was working with, and then I'd go out on the weekend and get to apply it and try it and, yeah. and figure it out. So it was great. And is it hard? Um, is, there a, like, is there a special talent you need to do it there well? There is a talent, yeah. There's a there's definitely a talent to do it well. Are you born with that or do you learn it? Um, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah. Uh, I think it's definitely learnable, but the really good guys. So, you know, and I'm talking about like director of photography. So you're behind the camera, you're responsible for the lighting and all the camera yeah. movement. The guys that really kill it, they've got some inherent talent. Yeah. You know, like a lot of things. So, yeah. Like yeah. a rugby player, you're born with a talent. Yeah. But then and you then you develop it. You know, yeah. there's, uh, there's a guy that, um, that was an assistant on a job that I was on. He was the camera trainee. He came on as the camera trainee and he was a cheeky young guy. And yeah. he, oh, he's not the last, he's too cheeky and things, but he, he did a good job as an assistant. And now, you know, now we're talking fucking years know, later. years later. Yeah. He's living in the London shooting freaking Mercedes commercials and things oh, like really? that. Killing it. Making you know? a squillion. Yeah. Just absolutely killing oh, it. Good you on know? So yeah, there's a real talent to it and I appreciate it. You know, I go to a film that's, been well shot or something yeah. like that, and I, I appreciate it. You know the art that's gone into it. And the I think yeah, a lot of people it. do; they just don't realize. Yeah, like, you know if it's a good movie. Oh, there's definitely an unconscious. Yeah, like if something looks like shit, you notice. You know, yeah. and even if you don't understand, something will feel right or feel a bit cheesy or oh, that looks like shitty green screen work or but something. Do you, you, do know? you find you do that in movies though? Nah, or I'm you pretty get to good. enjoy the movie. I'm pretty good. I've learned to switch off. Yeah, you used to. I was going to say, because that'd be a pain in the ass. We're in the middle of watching Mission Impossible yeah, and you sit yeah, there and go, oh. where's that ute come from? What's oh. going on over there? You Actually, know? there was. I did go and see Mission Impossible and there was one shot. <laughs> I was like, fuck, <laughs> ruined the whole fucking, the big action sequence with the helicopters. Have yep. you seen it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's one shot in there. I'm like, oh, that, <laughs> that was rough. <laughs> like the rest of it was seamless. There's just one shot. One little bit I was ruined like, it. Yeah, I go, let's go do some more work on that shot. You know, the digital work of the helicopters <laughs> crashing. But no, nah, it's, it's cool. I've learned to switch off and enjoy movies. I love movies. I go to the movies at least once a week. Yeah, it's one of my favourite pastimes. Yeah. So you're then you're doing commercials and stuff at this time now? Uh, are you? Yeah, Where so are we um, TV, not so much commercials. Uh, never really Maybe did like TV, TV shows. But more like TV shows. Uh, corporate work. So we'd mm-hmm. be going into mostly in those days, like video wasn't a big thing for business like it is now, right? Yeah. So we'd be going into insurance companies or banks, like large corporations, and we'd be going in with a crew of four or five people and making a corporate video for them. Mm-hmm. Might be the CEO talking about stuff, and then we'd go and film in this department and that department. Um, yeah, it was really only those big sort of corporations. Uh, and then TV shows, and that would range from, you know, like magazine-style shows like Home and Garden. Getaway and that sort of Getaway stuff. Getaway and yep. that sort of stuff. Uh, through documentaries, mm-hmm. really enjoyed sort of documentary work that I did. It's great because you're sort of telling stories. Uh, and then TV drama. Um, I did a bit of that as an assistant and then got to operate and then actually got to shoot um, like dramatic shows like uh, – Babies here in Australia. Yeah, like stuff. that sort of yeah. stuff. Yeah, so um, that was great, you know, yeah. really enjoyed so that we're stuff. Still, we're still enjoying ourselves as a camera yeah, dude. Yeah, we're still enjoying ourselves yeah, at yeah. this point. Yep, that's cool. And then when you started in the movies then, or uh, how does yeah, so, the transition go from a TV into a movie? Well, I mean, for me, there was that desire to shoot movies. And back then, um, you had two distinct pathways. Like TV and film were different things. They were yeah, different okay. beasts. Because TV was generally shot in studios and shot on videotape, and films were shot on film. Yeah. Uh, and they were different things. So a lot of that whole shooting music videos and things like that was about learning to shoot on film and okay. showing you could shoot on film. Yeah. Because the difference was back then when you're shooting on a video camera, like like you shoot on your phone now, right? You see it in the, the monitor. You look yep. at your phone, you know what you're filming. When you're shooting on film, you didn't have that luxury. You know, film was like a photochemical process. So you had to have your exposure just right. Understand. You can't see it. You can't look at it. It's and go, like the old SLR camera compared to a digital yeah, camera. Yeah, you can't look at it and go, you know, that shot looks great. Yeah. You're like, it looks good to your eye. But yep. You've got to get your exposure right and your shutter speed's right. And then you shoot it and send it to the lab and cross your fingers and your toes <laughs> and hope you got it right, you know. So for me, it was a matter of doing the music videos and the short films and things like that on film to get the exposure and the ability. Um, But, you know, I got my first opportunity to shoot on film. It was actually a TV show because a lot of good quality TV shows were actually still shot on film. Um, I was working on a drama. uh, It was an English – it was called The Tribe. It was an English kids show, Mm -hmm. post-apocalyptic thing. And the the guy who was the um, director of photography on it, he got sacked. And – 
I was um, I was there as the B camera operator. So we had two cameras, A yep. camera, B camera, and he he always liked to operate. So he did the lighting and everything, and then he'd operate the B and I, the A camera, and I'd just shove the B camera in somewhere and get another angle. Anyway, he got sacked. He had an argument with the producers and got sacked, and they brought in another cameraman who I knew a little bit, but not really. Uh, you know, he was an older generation guy, and um, I knew a little bit, and he was from the generation where your director of photography just lit the show. Yeah, okay. So suddenly I was the A camera operator. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool. So we had a really good time. It was like a six-month shoot. Went really well. Uh, he went off and moved on to another another show. Uh, when we finished and then a few weeks later I got a phone call from the production assistant saying, oh, we need someone to um, come and shoot the second unit. Um, and Wayne said, to give you. you a call. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> I was shaking <laughs> a moment. You know, this show was being shot on film. Okay. And I'm like, holy shit. This, this is your this. first one. This is my first film? opportunity to yeah. shoot on film. So, yeah, went out and um, that was a show called Ivanhoe. No, it was called The Dark Knight. And it was about Ivanhoe, English, you know, knights and swords yeah, yeah. and stuff like that. But, yeah, I went out and did a whole bunch of second unit stuff, shooting stunts, sword fights, and guys falling off castles. And, awesome. And that was cool. So that was really cool. So that sort of got me into that film world. And then around that time was when Lord of the Rings was kicking off yeah. in New Zealand. And um, I actually uh, went for a couple of interviews, and I got offered a job on the miniatures unit. So – on that film, it was the first time I'd ever learnt this stuff, but they have what they call the miniatures unit. Uh, and these miniatures are not miniature at all, but they're models of cities and things like that. Oh, okay. Like giant scale. So yep. they might be 15 feet high. You know, they're a big thing, three metres high. The yeah. model, incredible detailed models. But, you know, the way the film works is you go out and you shoot this great big landscape out in the South Island of New Zealand, and then in the miniatures studio you shoot this model, and then the digital guys composite them together. Oh, wow. So there's this whole art form around shooting miniatures. So anyway, I got offered a job there um, as a camera assistant, and I really ummed and ahed and looked at it. And at the time, um, I sort of thought, oh, I don't know if this is what I want to do. I thought I want to be on the main unit, but, yeah. I, but I hadn't been offered a job there. I'd been offered a job miniatures, but my daughter had just been born, so she was a baby. I'm looking at it going, you know what? I'm going to end up working 15 hours a day, six days a week, in a studio the entire time. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think I want to do this. So I said no, and it was a hard decision. Especially Lord of the Rings. Hard decision. You know, none of us knew how big it was going to be, but it was the biggest thing that had come up in New Zealand at the time. Um, But shortly afterwards, um, yeah, I got a call, and I got offered an opportunity with a guy called Michael Pellerin, who's an American guy who specializes in behind-the-scenes DVDs. Okay. So he's made the the behind-the-scenes stuff for, you know, most of the big Hollywood films through that era. Uh, And it was to go and shoot. So – I actually think I ended up with a better, better job, a better way to experience it because I was there on set, on location, seeing it all, experiencing it all, but I didn't have to be involved in the stress of it because I had my own job to do, which was sort of filming behind the scenes. And if everything got a bit stressful and tense on set, I could just take my gear and go, you know what, we're just going to go and sit in the corner or we'll go and have a little break now and come back when the tension's you know. calm down. So it was actually really good because it sort of, you know, I worked reasonable hours so I could still go home and see my daughter and uh, things, but I also wasn't stuck on one unit. I got to spend time. On all of them. Yeah, so we were on the main unit filming, then filming with the miniatures unit, uh, and then we did all the documentaries. Like Lord of the Rings, there was a massive fit. Uh, for each of the three films, there were massive amounts of documentaries. That's the behind-the-scenes stuff yeah. you used to get on DVDs. Yeah, like, yeah, so you get the DVD and it's got all the behind-the-scenes stuff. Yeah, documentaries. okay. And for each of those films, there's probably 20 different documentaries. You know, there's oh, wow. one about the costume department, yeah. and one about the sound department, and one about the digital department. You yeah. got to meet the director? Oh, yeah, lots of times. What was he like? Peter, he's a great mm. dude. He's he's just like you see. He's short and shaggy-haired and walks around <laughs> in bare feet and – you know, he's, he's and is he a genius like yeah, they say? He yeah, he's yeah. yeah, he's a creative genius. Um, so is he on the spectrum? He's one of those sort of guys. Oh, I don't, I don't think he's on the spectrum. Um, he's just a creative genius mm. with a strong vision. He knows what he wants. He'll shoot over and over and over and over again. Yeah, he'll do thirty or forty takes or oh, something. Really? Yeah, to, just to, to get it perfect to get what he how he so sees he pictures it. it in his head. Yeah. And then he goes, okay, I know what I want. No, yeah. that wasn't it. Do it again. Yeah. Do it again. That's wow. It. He's got such a strong vision. Uh, and the other thing that I really liked about Peter was his ability to manage multiple 
things going okay. on at once in his head, you know, like your average film director. And this has probably changed a little bit now with the scope of films and yeah. the way they're made these days. But back then, um, you know, your director has the vision for the film and they have their crew and they go and they shoot everything. With Lord of the Rings, you could have five or six different units going at once. So Peter would be on set with the main unit shooting with actors, but there could be up to five other units in different parts of the country shooting with actors, shooting special effects, miniatures, shooting sort of miniatures, yeah. shooting horses charging across the plains. Um, so he'd be on set and he'd be focused on what he's doing, but he'd also have like live stream wow. feeds. And like in those days it was freaking satellite dishes yeah, that works yeah, yeah. to stream all this shit in. So he'd have to stop what he was doing and go and watch something else and check on that work. Because he knew where that fitted in, where it was yeah. in the movie. And wow. then while this is happening, he's also editing the films as well. He's editing. Well, he's not physically yeah, editing, but he's, but he's managing the edit of the films. Like often you'll wow. shoot the film and then edit it. Yeah. But, you know, they did do a lot of shooting, but once they started editing, they went back and shot more. So he's still shooting while they're editing. <laughs> so he'll go off when everyone goes to lunch, he'll go into the edit suite and go, no, change that, change that, fix this. This is good, bad. So he's just, he has a. How long did that process take to, oh, to film? Years. I think 98 it kicked off. And, oh, here you go. The last film was released, I think, 2003, the end of 2003. Yeah. So it's and, five years. Yeah, and we were still filming when it was released because there was extra footage being shot for, like, the director's cut, the long editions. Yeah. So on the day that film three premiered in L.A. or wherever yeah. it premiered, we were on set shooting. shooting. <laughs> we were still wow. shooting the film when people are watching the film. <laughs> So did they do all three at once, did they? Yeah, yeah. So it was okay. the first time that I'm aware of that that had been done. So they, they looked at the scope of it and decided to shoot all three at once because you could shoot one and then two and then three, but you'd end up going back to the same places over yeah, and over yeah. again. So, I mean, that made it really challenging for everyone involved. You know, He's managing the actors three and, films at once, yep. multiple – wow, what's oh, going man, on in that head? Yeah. Oh, no. No wonder he's got no shoes and shaggy hair. <laughs> You know, I mean, he did an amazing job just, of it. He, yeah, genius. You know, obviously those films are iconic. They yeah. became the largest grossing films of all time at that, at that point. Um, put New Zealand on the map on the map as a you know tourist location. As its own country, not and, a bit of Australia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean the, the Western Island? The Western Island, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Australia's the Western <laughs> Island of New Zealand. Of course it is. Um, but, yeah, I put it on the map tourist-wise, but also did wonders for the film industry, which, you know, there were already Americans coming out and other yeah. films came out, but more came out. And he was well rewarded for it. You know, he he had a share of, I don't know what the deal was. Oh, but the take, did he? Yeah, yeah. So he oh, made wow. he made shitloads of Bazillions. Money. Yeah. Wow. You know, and well-deserved. So you were on it for the whole five years? No, 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 no. Off probably Probably three years off and on. Yeah. Um, you know, probably 100, 100 plus days a year okay. for three years. Nice. Yeah. So it was nice good. little gig. Yeah, it was a good gig. And were you doing other stuff at the same time? Oh, yeah, we were doing the TV stuff and, um, you know, the oh, magazine so you continued shows. continued doing the TV and, whilst yeah, you were doing between, that. in between, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just the real estate shows and things like that. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier. <laughs> what was your comment? I can't stand watching someone else do up someone else's house. Or something. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was talking to my neighbour, Matt, my neighbour the other day, and um, he's a builder. Yeah. And uh, and we were talking about this and you know, we we don't know each other well. We just get to know each other, and we're talking about this. And yeah, I worked on a show called Changing Rooms. Yep, where you know you would get two sets of neighbours or two sets of friends, and they would renovate a room each in each room other's house. And and this was the this was sort of in the demise of my television career because I just couldn't <laughs> freaking deal with this anymore. Right, so that show was uh, reality television in New Zealand was run by one company pretty much. There was a company called Touchdown, and they did the majority of it. And it was run by a woman called Julie Christie, who's a very successful businesswoman mm -hmm. who brought her business knowledge into television and really turned, you know, just took on reality television, yeah. which is a, a machine. It's a bit of um, Julie used to yell and scream across the office. Oh, really? So you'd go, they had this big old loft warehouse um, office in Auckland, and you'd go in there and you'd be sitting in the reception area and you'd hear Julie scream across the office. Oh, really? <laughs> Where the fuck are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, the experienced producers and things that have been working with for years, that go, oh, great, new company, new shows and things like that. But after they've been yelled at a few times, gone, mm. yeah, fuck it, this, we're out of here. Um, so Touchdown was bringing a lot of people straight out of film school and putting them into uh, researcher roles and things like that. But, of course, <laughs> what happened was there was sort of this rollover of um, the, 
the experience people would go, screw this, we're not putting up with this behavior. Yeah. Uh, so the researchers that have been there three months were suddenly production managers yeah, yeah, <laughs> and the production managers were suddenly directors. This gets worse and So worse. we'd end up in the field with a director who didn't know how to direct and – you know, the way you would do it properly is you would construct a story. And even if you're just filming something, you go, okay, well, this is what we'll do. This is the angles we'll take. Yep. And then we'll present that to the editor and the editor strings it all together. How it ended up being was just shoot everything and we'll send it to the editors. <laughs> and I'm just like, the editors, poor bastards, you know, yeah. just filtering through shit, trying to piece it together. So, you know, we're doing this sort of work. But then what happened is it used to be two crews. So you'd have two houses, say, side by side. You have a crew in each house and a director. And da, 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 da. then they figured out they could save money. They could have one crew do both houses but they still had two directors. <laughs> so now what wow. you've got is you've got one crew trying to do twice the work with two inexperienced directors who don't know how to tell a story, um, who start arguing with each other over whose turn it is to have the crew. And, it's and what they're just, filming is someone doing up someone's yeah, yeah, a room in a house. you freaking renovating your neighbor's <laughs> lounge room over a weekend. So it just you know, got to be a life, haven't you? Oh, so what just... were you doing last week? I was working on uh, Lord of the Rings. What yeah. are you doing this week? Well, <laughs> Jimmy's up doing up Annette's house. <laughs> so it just got to be ridiculous. And, and it started to piss me off because, you know, I owned a few houses and did a few renos and things. And some of the workmanship was just so bad because it was such a rush. Yeah. Like they'd start on Friday night and you had to do the handover on Sunday, meant to be Sunday afternoon. It always ended up being 10 o'clock on Sunday night. <laughs> but um, the workmanship was so bad yeah. that you're filming it and you're filming all these wide shots because you can't show any detail because it's so shit. And I'm like, this is crap television that, you know, I'm listening to these directors argue with each other. There's no value in it. It doesn't, there's no story to tell to entertain people. It's the just, Bachelor wasn't on then, mate. You could have actually oh, now. Could have now, killed it on the Batchy. You could have. I could see you as like the, the head cameraman you see me as, as the Bachelor. bachelor. You no, could no, see you're me as the Bachelor. Married me. Oh, I am now. <laughs> <laughs> I could see you filming the Bachelor because that's quality television. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so we've, we've now left TV. We've told them all to get stuffed. What's, where'd you go then? Uh, we moved to Australia. Hey, hey. To a lucky country. Let's get out of Wellington. Um, Wellington's a great little city, lots going on, and it's cold and wet and miserable. And, you know, I grew up asthmatic and just always on the medication, yeah. the preventative and stuff like that, and it was just shit. And um, the ex-wife, wife at the time, and I, we had actually, we'd been over the Gold Coast for holidays on a few occasions, and we'd actually talked about moving somewhere warmer. And uh, I remember actually I was filming on the beach on the south coast, um, and it was the middle of November. So you know, it's nice busy. hot summer's day in New Zealand, summer, right? So have you been to you been to Philip Island or anywhere like yeah, that? Yeah, I've been to Philip Island. Yeah, I was at Philip Island last weekend, right? So you know what the weather's like, yeah, right? Yeah, it's beautiful. Okay. So so <laughs> imagine the middle of November, pissing with rain, southerly wind coming off the freaking Southern Ocean, and I just can't feel my fingers. And this is five, <laughs> and you're filming on the beach. I'm filming on the beach, right? And this is five minutes from home. So at the end of the day, all the gear just gets chucked in the van, shut the door, boom, <laughs> literally five minutes from home. I walk in the front door, my fingers are still numb. And I said, to, I said to the wife, I said, are you serious about moving somewhere warm? And she goes, yep. I said, good, we're fucking going. <laughs> and I went and got in the shower and, and that was it. And that was November and we moved in April. And that was the decision. Yeah, that was the decision. I'm like, oh, I've had enough of this shit. Let's go. Wow. So you come to the Goldie. Come to the Goldie. What was the, what was the big plan before you were going to come? So we're going to move to somewhere warm. Um, we got a nice little house on the beach. Yeah. Well, uh, well, it always happens, doesn't it? I'm going to move the guy. I'm going to live on the beach. I'm going to go to the beach every day. We're going to walk. We're going to swim. Uh, we're going to surf. Where'd you go? Uh, Umrah? Pacific Pines. Oh, there you go. Back Pines. <laughs> Back Pines. <laughs> suburban. It's only 25 minutes to the beach. Yeah, suburban. 4,000 uh, houses in a three-mile radius. <laughs> um, there wasn't a great a plan. The plan was, you know, we had a little bit of money saved and things like that. So the plan was take a couple of months off. Yep. Just enjoy the coast and get to know it and and – Find my way. Yeah. I didn't really have a plan of what I was going to do. Um, you know, I knew I had my skills, so I could always try and get into television if I needed to, but I was I was over it by that stage. Uh, so the plan was take a couple of months off. We got here. We moved into the house. About 10 days later, I'm starting to go a bit stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> not, not good at taking time off. Um, How old were the kids at this stage? Uh, seven and two. So one at not school, even. one six and one and a half. So one at school, or one yeah, not at yeah. School. So one straight to school and one at home. Um, yeah. So we, you know, we we come over. We that was November. We made that decision. Come over in February and 
found a house and bought a house. Nice. Moved in April. Uh, Morgan, my daughter, into school. And then, yeah, Aiden was just a little fella, so he was at home. But, yeah, after about 10 days, I started going stir crazy. So I'm like, right, who do I know? What can I do? And there was an Australian girl that I'd worked with uh, in New Zealand. So I rang her and said, right, who do you know? Who can you put me in touch with? And she gave me a number for a bloke. And I remember I rang him up. I said, oh, g'day. You know, I'm Paul. I'm a cameraman. Just moved in from New Zealand and got the old, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, send us your CV. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, cool, great. So I emailed him my uh, my CV and I like, got a phone call back about five minutes later. <laughs> oh, oh, good. So you're actually, you're actually, you're, a, cameraman. You're actually a cameraman. <laughs> <laughs> and that was exactly it, right? This guy's obviously just getting bombarded yeah. with you know, inexperienced people. So he's like, oh, good. Right, so here's the go. Um, we've got this show going. It's called Big Brother. <laughs> because, Is this season one? Uh, no, it was season three, I think. Okay. Uh, but um, he's like, we're already crewed up. We're underway. But um, I haven't got anybody on standby, you know. So um, I've got a couple of people who can't make it. So if you want it, I can give you a couple of shifts right now. I'm like, yeah, okay, cool, great. So boom. He's as a cameraman. Yeah, as a cameraman. In the house, you know, that in the Big Brother house, they have the glass window yeah, yeah. all the way around. Yeah, in the house behind the window. How um, was that? It was interesting. Was it weird? It was very weird. Was you just watching people, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, he was watching people. And, you know, I went and did a few shifts. And then what happened is that they um, the housemates started staying up all night. Okay. Like all night. And yeah. going to bed when the sun came up and sleeping half the day. And they had already done their roster like six weeks out or something. So he, he's rung me and he said, look, we need another person on the night shift. I can give you six weeks right now if you if you want to take on the night shift. I was like, yep, righto. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I went and did six weeks and nights filming in the Big Brother house. Well, I ended up being more, but it was that What did they get time. up to? Mischief? Oh, a little bit of mischief. There was, yeah. it, was, it was fun times. Like They know you're there. They they forget and they see they through there. the glass. At uh, all? If you make a mistake, they can see through the glass. Okay, so like it's completely pitch black. Yeah, and the window has uh, curtains behind it. Okay, so you take your camera around. You wheel the cameras around. They're on a pedestal with wheels, yep. and you wheel them around to where you want them, and you just open the curtains and wrap them around the lens and clip them around the lens. Okay, so they can't see anything. But you know it's pitch black, so you wear a torch around your neck. Uh, pointing downwards, but yeah. occasionally you'd be moving and the torch would oh, okay. move, and they'd catch a glimpse of light in the window, and they'd be like, "Oh, yeah. and up, they'd come and." But try otherwise, and they forget you. the cameras are there. They forget the cameras are there, oh, and okay. they just they just carry on. Um, for the most part, mate, this is boring. I was going to say there wouldn't be much like, excitement. They're in the house twenty four hours a day. They have no clocks, so they don't know what time it is. Um, they have no media. You know, no magazines, no newspapers, no pen, no paper, yeah. nothing to do but talk to each other. So the amount of conversations about freaking shampoo and <laughs> it's just insane. And can you hear them at the time, obviously, with the – Yeah, well, you um, – your mic Well, you can up. hear through the walls if you're close enough okay. because it's just very, very thin. But we're wearing headphones and you hear the program yeah. audio going through. Um, but then it's just all orchestrated. Right, what do we want them to do? We want them to play a game or we want them to do this or, oh, you know, so there'd be orchestrated games or challenges. Yeah. And then usually if it was all a bit quiet, Big Brother would just throw a shitload of piss in the, in the diary room. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> let them get drunk and away you go. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's funny because some of it makes it to air. And then there was the late, they did a late night show oh, yeah, yeah. that year. Where, they'd where sh- the nudes got out Yeah, and stuff, where they'd yeah. show more. So. You know, there was a bit of that. It wasn't a huge amount. There was, you know, there was a couple of the girls that like getting their boobs out and they'd run around with the top off and things like that. But there wasn't that much going on. Um, Must be pretty boring though as a cameraman oh, sitting there behind the curtain. Oh, yeah, tedious. And you obviously can't night, talk to anyone, can you? No. Well, yeah, you've got your comms on so you can talk to your oh, other camera, okay. but very quietly like because yeah, yeah. they could hear you through the wall. It's like a piece of gyp rock. That's it, you know. So it got tedious and occasionally it was entertaining but then sometimes there's just shit you never see on tv you know yeah. like the time when uh one of the girls got ridiculously drunk and was falling over and was going to hurt herself and you know we're on the comms back up to the director going you guys need to do something about this because they send gonna... someone in to help her well what they did is they called a couple of the guys into the diary room and um and they hatched a bit of a plan <laughs> it ended up being quite funny uh going into the diary room where they'd talk to Big Brother, yeah, yeah. there were like two glass doors that made like an airlock. Uh-huh. So they called a couple of the guys and sent her out. They got her and they freaking locked her in this airlock <laughs> between the two glass doors. They figured that eventually she'd just pass <laughs> out. And, 
Because anywhere else she was falling over and she's going to hurt herself. Anyway, they put her in there and she just went off. She's bashing on the oh, glass. Really? Going, you can't do this to me. <laughs> but eventually she just sat down and slumped over and went to sleep. <laughs> and do they film all that stuff? Yeah, it's all on camera, but it never gets you know, never get used. Because yeah. the director we put in prison for locking her up. <laughs> but no, nah, it was good. But, you know, it reinforced to me that it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, you know. Yeah. I met some people, you know, made some money, but. Yeah, it wasn't what I wanted to be doing. So Big Brother's over. What's next? Um, staying with uh, friends of ours at the time, Tracy Voice. You know Tracy Voice? Yeah, Tracy, yeah, yeah. yeah, so Tracy and Perry. Yeah. We knew them from Wellington before oh, yeah. before they moved over. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we were staying with uh, Tracy and Perry when we first moved. Oh, sorry. So, yeah, when we, when we came to look for a house and then we first yeah. moved, we stayed with them. So they were good friends of ours. But uh, Tracy was with um, uh, Action Coach, Business Coaching. Oh, okay. And she introduced me to a gentleman called Stan Jordan, who was the general manager up in Brisbane. And uh, I had a like a three-hour-long meeting with Stan, who said, "Well, I need a sales manager. Do you want the job?" I'm like, oh, I've never sold anything, and I don't <laughs> What's know a anything. Sales manager do? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know anything about business coaching, and I, I've never sold anything. He said, "No, you'll be right. You, you I can tell you're good with people. <laughs> you'll be, you'll All be good, is, mate. Best thing about sales is not selling." Yeah. So I went into a twelve-month contract uh, there. And, um, yeah, just spent a year learning about sales and making sales, yeah. um, learning about systems. Obviously, being a business coaching business, there was a process mm-hmm. for everything. So learning how the processes worked and how to use processes and how, you know, they benefited. And, yeah, just got involved with this great community of, of coaches and, and business coaches and things. So that was great. You know, spent a year there doing that. Um then had a brain fart and decided to become one. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> um Went off and did my coach training and, and actually worked as a business coach. Did you for, enjoy that? No, it wasn't my gig. Wasn't? No. So I did it for 12 months. Yeah. Uh, and again, it was a good community and things, but it's interesting because there's a couple of things going on. Firstly, I hadn't owned a business. I'd mm-hmm. been self-employed, but I hadn't yeah. owned a business. Um, so in my head, I'd be going, oh, I don't know if I can all these people what to do or give them guidance. And of course there's a system there to follow and you could follow the system, but still had that doubt and things. And, and looking back, I go, well, maybe if I just followed the system a hundred percent, but I wasn't enjoying it, you know? So I thought, right, I need some experience in business. So I got out of that and actually bought a little importing business. Mm-hmm. What were you importing? Uh, Balinese homewares. Okay. Yeah. So lamps and cushions and, you know, oh, all sorts of little carvings and statues. Why? And Where'd like that, that come from? Uh, it was just an opportunity that came up. Okay, so it was an existing business. It was an existing business. Yeah. yeah, part of that whole coaching coaching community was sort of learning about businesses and opportunities yeah. and, and things. And this was a it was a distressed business. Uh, unfortunately, the owners, the the, um, the husband, they were an older couple, but he'd got a bit crook. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and they needed to get out. The business wasn't making any money, so I just bought the stock okay. and uh, took it over. Uh, and that was cool. It was a unique, unique business. We sold primarily through party plan, like the old, oh, okay. Tupperware, the old parties. Tupperware parties. Yeah. yeah. So we had a, a team of reps who would go out and do in-home demonstrations. And then uh, we had a warehouse in Burley full of product and it would all get packed up and, nice. and shipped off. So you know, that was cool. Um, so yeah. You enjoy that? So obviously that's your first taste of business. That you was must have my first taste of being a business owner yeah. and the responsibilities that come with it, and paying the wages and paying the rent, yeah. and managing the cash flows, and <laughs> the oh shit moments. Uh, yeah, <laughs> plenty <laughs> of the oh shit moments, and yeah. the, actually dealing with people moments. It was yeah. all it was all it was all woman. It was me, and at one point we had uh, I had uh, two girls working in the warehouse, and we had fourteen contractors, and they're all women. <laughs> Put out your feminine side. Put out my feminine side and um, (laughs) learnt to deal with uh, personalities and, you know, oh, we can't have this one in at 10 o'clock because this one's coming in and they don't get on. And I'm like, I don't care about any of that. staff, do you? So, you know, that was cool, but we learnt that. So that was, you know, that was really good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So So then we met. We We met with a thing called Mona V. When Mona V was a network marketing business. Magic Juice. It was Magic Juice. And um, I really enjoyed that part of my life. I I think it was was a very exciting part of your life. It's funny I mentioned at the start of the podcast is that network marketing is one of my favorite um, things, except for the way you lose friends and family and stuff because the way you're taught to sort of shove it down people's throats. But if you do network marketing properly, as we know, there's a couple of good friends of ours that made a shitload of money. Yeah, well. I mean, and um, great opportunity. Still are. 
Yeah. I mean, the best thing about network marketing is that anyone can do it. Yes. The worst thing about network marketing is that anyone, anyone can, do, can it. do it. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> and people think they're going to get rich within 24 hours without actually having yeah. to do any hard work. But no, I mean, look, you know, it was good and, and it was a good opportunity. Yeah, friends of ours, you know, they, they did really well and, and made – Great money, and we met through that. And you know, we actually achieved the same rank, I think, yeah, in we the did. business. We and, did, um, yeah. But that was good back in those days. And and the thing is that, um, to me, it was a good side gig, yeah, because we had other business opportunities and we yeah. did other things and other bits and pieces. And mate, you then you then sort of got into the whole social media thing when that started taking off. What, yeah. um, how'd that happen? How'd, how'd you become the Facebook guru? Oh, well, so. Um, the I mean, the importing business was there and sort of doing its own thing. And I sort of got invited in by a, a mate to go and help out at a seminar mm-hmm. um, with a personal development speaker. And that sort of led to me doing a bunch of AV work, you know, audio visual work. So back on the camera, back screens, on the tools. Back on the tools. And met people through there who found out about my background and said, oh, could you make a video for me to help promote my my business? So I started making some videos, uh, primarily coaches, you know, okay. life coaches, business coaches, health yep. coaches. Um, so I started making some videos for these guys and that sort of just led to me then opening up a video production business. Um, Funny how life goes full circle. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I opened the video production business, but very much, you know, for the first sort of three years of that was very focused on like the personal branding kind of stuff for the, uh, your entrepreneurs. Um, did that. It was cool. Uh, I was traveling, doing it and things, but ultimately I was sort of still not, you know, I'd gone back doing the video thing again. So it still wasn't great, but 2013, I think it was, uh, one of my clients was a, a, a podiatrist down in Sydney. He's still mm-hmm. a, still a client today, um, and um, he said to me, "Oh, do you know anything about Facebook ads?" And I'd been doing a little bit of research just for my own knowledge. I was thinking about maybe running some to generate some leads for the video business. And I said to to Dan at the time, "I said, oh, I've been learning a bit and this and that." And he said, "Oh, would you like to run some for me?" And I was like. Oh yeah, I'll have a go. He goes, well, how much? How much is that going to cost? <laughs> uh, Five hundred bucks a month. And he's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> should have said a grand. <laughs> so yeah, so basically, um, started running Facebook ads here, two thousand and thirteen. Any idea uh, what you were doing for Daniel? Oh no, <laughs> you know, I a little bit of an idea. Nothing Google and YouTube. That's right, but um. Yeah, just kicked off and started getting results straight away, which is great. I'm like, this is magic, you know, this is amazing. And then uh, Daniel referred me to a couple of other people, um, and I was like, oh, cool. So I took on a couple more clients, and I'm like, okay, well, that's less video work. Yep. Um, it was really good. So, yeah, that sort of went through a, a couple-year period. Um, where, what do you think of Facebook? What do I think when of I, Facebook? When I say the word Facebook to you, what's the first thing that pops into your head? Frustration. Frustration? Yeah. yeah. Frustration. Um, I have said multiple times to friends that if I wasn't running a digital media agency, I would probably close my Facebook account. Really? Yep. I find it personally a massive time suck. Yeah. It's addictive. I mean, the whole thing is designed, this? but it's designed. It's engineered to be addictive. There's yeah. actually an art. He's a clever a fucker, science. that Mark Zuckerberg, yeah. mate. There's actually a science, there's a book, I can't remember what the book's called, but there's a book that talks about the tools they use to yep. make it addictive. And, you know, I'm a, I, I go through waves with it, Where, but yeah, you'll get on there and you just scroll and things like that. But um, it's great for connecting to people. You know, yep. I'm connected to people I went to school with and then, you know, you said before about uh, race cars, you know, mm. I was away at the weekend and now I've had a bunch of guys, you know, connect with me and it's great for those connections, but yeah, I think it can be a massive time suck. I think probably what I'd like to do rather than uh, shut it down completely is just wipe out the random factor. Yeah. Like I've got like three and a half thousand friends or something on there because uh, I did a lot of travel, met people all over the world and things like that. I, you know, if I could pair it back to two or three hundred people that I actually know. Well, I did that a few years ago. So I, I made a conscious decision because I've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, et cetera. And I, on Instagram, I've got my private account that only certain people have access. I think I've got 48 people on that, right. which is like I put pictures of my kids and shit. i got um, probably 5,000 followers on Instagram, which I put my ins- inspirational type yep. stuff and my entrepreneurial type stuff. 
Um, on LinkedIn, I've probably got about three or 4,000 people I connect with because that's my connection tool. Yep. Uh, Twitter, however many follow me, I don't use it that much, but I'm going to get more into that now. But then I find Facebook, like I was exactly the same. I had all these people, I had no idea who they were. So I went through one day consciously and actually ticked off the people I didn't actually know and got rid of them. Right. Defriended them. Cool. Mate, it feels pretty bad when you defriend someone. <laughs> Do I really want to defriend this one? Yeah, he's a dick. I get rid of him. But I, I have five, so I've only got like three or four hundred people on there now, and like I probably know ninety percent of them. Yeah. And others are like you say when you're traveling, or you're like, oh, you on Facebook? Yeah, I am. But we're making it sort of a private, and then and then I've got a public page as well, which is which is brettmccallum.com. But that all comes down to trying to use those tools. So they're not just a time-sucking waste of Yeah, well, time. this is it. I mean, I think that I spend time on Facebook that I could be reading yep. or learning something or you hanging out reading. with people. Or, you are learning. Oh, to a point. A lot of video on there now. Yeah, but so much of it's shit. You know, it's just <laughs> shit. But, you know, the platform itself is not bad. Look, the flat, platform has built, brought billions of people together and yes. created connection and things. From a business point of view, it's freaking brilliant. Unbelievable. Um. You know, it's where people's attention is. Uh, the ability that we have to target is incredible. You know, I mean, you loved that when you had the Mona V business. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, from network marketing, it's got to be the best tool if you do it properly, if you tell you the story right. Except you can't promote network marketing opportunities. No, you have but to be clever. You've yeah, got to tell the story. That's what I'm you got to tell the story. You got to, but it's not promoting that. And yeah. that's, that's about all business. It's not promoting the actual business, it's telling the story about why they need to yeah. come see you. I mean, it's. It's for for businesses today, it's where they need to be marketing. It's social. It's not just Facebook. That's a big part of it, but those social platforms. So, you know, I say frustration for a couple of reasons. <laughs> One, because I know how much time I waste on there. Yeah. But also, two, like the marketing side of it, it, it changes all the time. Yeah. Um, the algorithms and stuff. Yeah, the algorithms change. And sometimes a campaign will work, and then you run the same campaign two months later, and it won't work. and it's a bit annoying, but by the same token, when you set up a campaign um, that just works really well, it's really satisfying to go, you know what, we've got the right message going to the right people uh, and it's it's producing the results that we want. It's, it's really, really satisfying. And, you know, I've been fortunate enough to work across a whole range of industries with some really cool clients. Um, you know, I've made good friends with clients and, you know, it's, it's been really good to me. And the thing is, that's business in general. Yeah. I find there's you meet good people, you meet bad people. You you have good days, you have bad days. It's yeah. like life, really, across the board, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So the new venture, you're a race car driver. How the hell did that happen? <laughs> um, I have been a motorsport fan since I was a young fella. Um, I I do remember Dad watching the Formula One when I was a young fella. I remember being aware of Nigel Mansell. Being a bit of a legend, yeah. you know, back in the day. Um, I remember going to my first motorsport event, which was um, there was a street race held in Wellington okay, uh, called the Nissan Mobile 500. And all the big names from back in the day, you, you Peter Brock, Dick Johnson, Jim Richards, you know, Mark Scaife, yep. John Bauer, Glenn Seaton, all the guys were, were there. And, and, yeah, I've got photos of myself. I was, must have been 14 or 15 standing next to Peter Brock's car. Yeah. And, and it was amazing. So I've been a fan all my life, you know, really. And then over the last few years, I've just got more and more into it. I love it when the V8s are on. I, I watch it. I follow the sport. I read the articles. I follow the drivers. You know, like some people, big footy fans. Like, yeah. I know you, you You know, you're a big Manly fan. I'm not, you know, I, I'll follow the rugby a little bit. I'll watch yeah. the All Blacks when they're on. But for me, it's motorsport. Um, so a couple of years ago, three years ago, 2016, I got connected with someone somehow who asked me to make a couple of videos for him for his business. And he was promoting a little competition called the Aussie Driver Search. Mm-hmm. So uh, I made a couple of videos and then actually he said, look, do you want to come to the the, the event and actually make a video on the day? So I'm like, yeah, right. So he went down to Sydney um, and actually went and filmed on the day and edited and produced this little video of people coming and driving to compete to win yep. prizes. And it was it was great. I had a great time. And it just sparked it for me. I'm like. I actually, on the day, I actually. Why am I filming this and not driving? Well, on the day, I actually got out and had a drive. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was, yeah, it was, it was Is great. that the first time you'd ever sort of driven a race uh, no, car? No, I had driven race cars before. I'd, I'd paid money to go and do, okay, do yeah. hot laps and things. Um, but yeah, Kyle, uh, Kyle Austin, who owns Aussie Driver Search, great bloke, good mate now, um, said, oh, well, you know, there you go, jump in. So, you know, I did 10 minutes yeah. uh, driving a V8 Ute from the V8 Ute series. Oh, and nice. Had a blast. And I came away from it thinking, that was great. I was thinking, 
why can't I be driving? You know, like it's not all V8 supercars. Yeah, there's, exactly. there's club categories and this and that. So I sort of started researching it. Um, didn't really do a lot with it. And then 2017 came around. Kyle got back in touch or towards the end of 2016 said, listen, do you want to get more involved? Uh, we'll do some videos and, but you can do some Facebook marketing. Um, so I was like, yeah, righto, righto. And I got more involved and it tripled in size from 2016 to 2017. So I made the videos, I ran all the Facebook ads. I ended up going to the events and, you know, working on the events, uh, just got bigger and bigger. And, uh, this year it's, Tripled again. Yeah. You know, we went from one event in 2016 to three. Uh, this year we got nine events. Wow. Um, you know, we've got over, I think, 1,200 competitors this year, five classes. Um, the business now owns a V8 supercar, uh, owns an Audi R8, owns four Toyotas, four V8 utes, uh, growing massively. I'm heavily involved. I'm, I sort of run all the marketing. I'm yeah. the event manager on the event days. And I just love that side of it. And like you still driving in those it. days? Um, so on those days, occasionally, like yeah. they're they're a pretty full on day. Occasionally, there might be ten minutes at the end of the day you can jump in. Um, but that just keeps me around it professionally. But you know, so through last year, I was like, right, I'm going to look for some opportunities. And uh, another one of my clients actually tagged me in a post on Facebook. Thank God for Facebook. Yeah, see, um, you're loving it now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> someone saying looking for a, a you know a driver to join our team. Or there's a fun event called the uh, 24 Hour of Lemons. Okay. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. No, what's the lot? So you've heard of the 24 Hour of Le Mans. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's the most famous motor yeah, race. I've been there, the world, actually. Right? I went and watched it. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. So there's the 24 Hour of Lemons. And it came out of the States. A guy started it. He wanted the idea to be that people, affordable motor racing. So basically, there's a bunch of rules. Uh, the primary rule being that your base car cannot be worth more than $1,000. Okay. So you can spend money on, you have to spend money on safety gear. You need a yeah. roll cage and things like that. But the car must be purchased for less than $1,000. Yeah. Uh, and then it's a fun event. You know, people decorate their cars and put silly shit all over them and get out and, you know, run for 24 hours. That's awesome. Um, so, yeah, so there was an ad, on, uh, a post on Facebook and Michael, one of my other clients, tagged me in it and said, you know, these guys are looking for a driver. So I rang them and they're local blokes and Went and had a yarn and went right oh and went racing. <laughs> it was great. That's <laughs> the start of it. And that was the start of it. So, you know, they're fun events. You don't need any particular license or anything yeah. for them. They're just fun events. But I was like, yeah, this is cool. So I'm like, right, I'm gonna I'm gonna do some more. And um through that, one of the guys that I um that I drove with at that event and another event, we did a couple of events together. Uh, he owns a couple of HQ Holdens. Nice. And has been racing. He's he's an older bloke, he's been racing HQ Holdens since the early eighties. Oh wow. And um, loves them, absolutely loves them. And he's got a couple of them. And his son uh, drives one, but he couldn't, he was away working or something, couldn't come. So he rang and said, Do you want to come out for a run in the HQ Holden? So I was like, Oh shit, actual racing. Actual. <laughs> so is that the first actual yeah. race? Yeah. And yeah. that was last weekend? Uh, no, no. So that was my fourth proper, proper race. race yeah. Uh, so the first one was sort of middle, middle of last year. How'd you uh, go? Yeah, it went really well, actually. Crash? Um, no. <laughs> happy with that. Actually, I did run off at one point, a bit wide, but didn't, yeah. didn't hit anything, so that was good. Uh, but no, it went really well. I mean, that was out at Queensland Raceway at Ipswich. Uh, there was about 23 cars in the field. Uh, I went out and I qualified 12th. Nice. Uh, and then there was four races across the weekend, and I was mighty nervous going into the first race. Yeah. You know, I've done lots of laps in my time. I've paid for lots of laps and yeah. fast cars and things. So I was comfortable with my own ability. And we went out. We had a day's practice beforehand, and I was fine there and then qualifying. Because you're running the cars on your own. around you, wouldn't it? That'd yeah, be well, the weird part. Practice and qualifying, you're right, because you sort of move away from them yeah. a little bit. Um, but, yeah, it was that thought. It was rolling start. So everyone's coming down, and you're rolling, and it was like – 23 cars going into turn one together. <laughs> That's what I was most nervous about. But just got in there and come out the other side and went, oh, that was easy enough. Put yeah. down and away we go. Nice. So we had four races and I went I went forward a couple of spots in race one. Then I went back three or four spots in race two. Yeah. And then went forward again and then forward again. And I finished up ninth for the weekend, I think. So I was like stoked. Yeah, so it was really great. So did that. So, yeah, raced at Queensland Raceway a couple of times, raced at Lakeside here. And then last weekend um, – Great opportunity. Bucket list. Australian bucket list Nationals stuff. or something? Yeah, the HQ Australian Nationals at Phillip Island great, Grand Prix circuit. Course. Oh, incredible. Uh, 74 HQs from all over the country. Wow. And, yeah, Phillip Island's an iconic racetrack in the circuit. I did tough runner at Phillip Island. Oh, did you? Yeah, the first one I did, yeah. yeah. Great place. That was great. So, you know, there was a few things went wrong over the weekend with, you know, various bits and pieces, but 
you just got to ignore that stuff and yep. do what you can. And, you know, it rained and there was this and the safety cars. And, it's Phillip Island. Yeah. It always rains. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so, freezing cold. You know, you spend half your race trailing around behind the safety car. Yeah. And races cut short. But, oh, it was great. I love it. So for me now, you know, what I figured out last year when I sort of was researching all of this and I was doing this, you know, you've got to have some ability. Mm. But you can pretty much drive anything you want in the world. You can race anything you want in the world if you can pay for it. That's what uh, I figured out. It all comes down to the cash. It all comes down to the cash. You've got to have the ability. You've got to be able of to get, get in the car and back up what you say. Yeah. But, you know, if I wanted to go and race the 24-hour of Le Mans, it's fully doable. Mm. If I've got the ability and the mud and the budget, yep. doable. So I'm like, cool, let's go well, race. What's next then on the race card? Um, I think I'm likely to do – I did have the opportunity to um, possibly race at Bathurst this year. Wow. But um, – Budget is, yeah, you know, you got to weigh up where you spend your money. <laughs> exactly. Plus, um, you've got a wife now. <laughs> <laughs> she's fully supportive. She's is she? a, she's she loving a, it. She loves the motor racing. She's, she's a, a motor racing a, yeah. junkie. No, she loves it. She's been a motor racing fan for years. Has she got a shirt with my hubby's a driver on it. <laughs> I'm going to buy her one. Actually, <laughs> you, it's a good idea. I'll do get that. Her one. <laughs> but um, no, look, um, through Aussie Driver Search, we've yep. got a couple of BMWs that run um, production car stuff. Uh, we've got four Toyota 86s that run in the National Series. So they mm-hmm. run at support. They run with the V8 supercars, a support category to the okay. V8 supercars. Yeah. So probably the next step for me would be to do a round in the Toyota 86s, yeah, which is national category. You're, yeah. on, you're on the big stage. You're on television. Um, but I just – I'm not precious about it. Like, I just want to go racing. Yeah. You know, you put me in a – What is it, the adrenaline rush? Yeah, I think it's – the adrenaline's cool, but I like the challenge of it. I yeah. like the skill – um, like the speed. You're a, bit, you're a very methodical person. Yeah. That's what your OCD does, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, because well, it's, it's not even about the speed. Like the speed's fun. Yeah, but like the cars I'm driving are not even going that fast. Yeah, yeah. you know, like the the HQ Phillip Island. I think the top speed I got was like 183 or something. Yeah. So you know, um, in a tank, in a tank. <laughs> you know, the little BMW. I've had that up over 200. Yeah, but. Like it's not about the speed and you're actually, to me, when I'm in the car, I'm not focusing on the speed. Like, so Sydney Motorsport Park, main straight, you're up over 200 before you hit the brakes. Um, but I'm not thinking about the speed. I'm going down the straight thinking, okay, cool. What's going on? Where's everyone else? Where's the brake marker? Okay. What do I need to do? Yep. So it's like, okay, tap the brake, turn it in. You're not thinking about how fast you're going. And it's different too, because the track's big and wide and open. Things aren't coming at you super yeah. fast. It's like you said, methodical. It's it's being able to repeat the same thing over and over again and go faster. OCD helps with that, my friend. <laughs> Get the right racing lines <laughs> and go quicker and go faster. And and I love it. You know, I, I really have a good time doing it. That's so awesome. It's it's not a cheap hobby. <laughs> no, I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's not. Um, now, I mentioned it a couple of times during that little conversation, and that's OCD. Yes. You are very OCD, and you admit it. I don't know if I'm very OCD, but You're I am. extremely I have a... OCD. <laughs> But before we had a bit of a conversation in regards to your wardrobe <laughs> and I want to, I want to have the chat about your inbox first. Sure. And so I know, I know that a few years ago now, I think it must be a few years ago. Oh yeah, definitely a few years ago. The, five you, or six. you come up with this really wonderful idea that I don't want any more email. Oh, tell me about that. Well, okay. So actually it was Facebook again. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Facebook. So, I mean, how, how, it, how it originated was that, I sort of had a system with my emails because, you know, you're in business, you get a lot of emails and you subscribe to things and you just get lots of emails. But I had a system going and my system was that if I had to deal with something, uh, I would leave it marked as unread. Yes. Uh, or, you know, if I got an article I wanted to go back to, I'd leave it marked I as unread. That. That's how I work. Cool. You never go back to that shit, right? Mate, just before we go, right, I'm looking at my email now. I have 81,902 <laughs> emails, and out of that, I have 334 unread. Right, cool. So they're my to-dos, right. so just so we get a basis yeah. around this. Yeah, yeah, so I'm in that same position, yep. right? So imagine that. I've got 334 unread emails. Yep. So in my head, I'm a busy guy. I've got lots going on. There's always lots going on. And every time I look at that, there's 300 more things that I have to do. I'm like, I'm already busy. I'm already not keeping up. And now I'm looking at my email and it's telling me there's 300 more things I have to do. <laughs> and it, it just it just created overwhelm for me. The so, stress. Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Um, so I'm on Facebook one day and there's a gentleman by the name of James Shramko who is an online marketer from Sydney, top bloke. 
and um, James posted a picture of his empty inbox with a little, I don't know if it was an article or just a thing, talking about zero inbox as a philosophy, this yep. zero inbox philosophy. So I'm like, shit, I'm going to find out about this. So basically the idea is you keep your inbox empty. I mean, your inbox has been described as other people's demands on your time. Um, it's so true. <laughs> so I sort of went and read all about it and went, right, oh, I'm going to have a crack at this. So I went, right, how the hell do I do this? So yeah. you get all nervous. Of, oh, what about this? So I picked a, I picked an arbitrary date, which I said six weeks, yeah. I think. No, longer, three months maybe, maybe something like that. Maybe I said six months. But I went, anything older than that, gone. deleted, gone. And then I went through the whatever it was, that six months, three months worth of emails and deleted and filed them into folders and, you know, just yeah. put them all away to the point where I I think I got down to having a few in yeah. my inbox and then got down to the point of having zero in my inbox. And now, well, it must be six or seven years now, later I still live by that philosophy that… But um, you get email though. Yeah, I get email every day. Yeah. Um, so before you go to bed at night, there's nothing in your inbox, pretty much. Ish. It's, it's not often zero these days, mm. but like right now, I mean, I've got three different email accounts I operate yeah. off right now, and I think the Aussie Driver Search one has maybe seven or eight emails in it, and that's the most. That's atrocious. That's right. Shocking. Yeah. But basically, stuff comes in. Um, yeah, I delete a lot of stuff. I unsubscribe from so you, a lot of stuff. You deal with it there and then. And yeah, I either deal with it there and then. If it's in my inbox, it's because it needs an action. Like okay. I don't leave anything in there. If there's an article I think I want to read, yep. it doesn't stay there. I archive. So I use Gmail. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's got a great archiving system. So you just archive it. You can search and find anything you want. Uh, but I sort of went off the philosophy that, you know, you know, you send me an article. I think, oh, that'll be interesting. I'll read it one day. It's just yep. going to sit there and never get read. And I'm not going to remember to read it because I see it in my inbox. Yeah, I'm going to remember to read it because you sent it. So if it's archived and not in the inbox, I'll still you remember to search it. think you've lowered your stress levels? Oh, definitely. And what about your, your time? You've now got more time to go on Facebook. <laughs> yeah, yeah, more time to spend <laughs> looking on Facebook. Um, no, definitely. But what's it done for your business, do you think? Is more well, stuff just, actioned? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. More stuff's actioned. Uh, it allows me to – I use it as a bit of a to-do as well because um, I'll look at it and go, okay, why Why are these things in my inbox? What's the priority? Okay, cool, bang, 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 yeah. action them off. Um, yeah, it just eliminates a lot of that sort of communication overwhelm and, and lets me I think it's a sensational on. idea. I've actually been sitting here looking how much crap that I get and you've got the unsubscribe button yep. and – you sit there going, but what if something good comes up? Yeah, like, what if? What if? Like, like, if? do I really need to know about the school my daughters went to three years ago that no longer, but they still send me email? Yeah. Like, what if there's something interesting on that's there? Right. I mean, there you go. That's look at that on my phone. That's it. That's the whole inbox. Yeah, there's like six emails there. I'm going to set myself a challenge. Next time I see you, I'm going to have at least half my inbox gone. That's not good enough. <sighs> stress of it. <laughs> stress of deletion. Not I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a crack. I reckon I'm going to try and see what I can get to. Zero inbox, buddy. I'm going to try a zero inbox. So is there something I are can read? Are you going to read? try it or are you going to do it? I'll do it. I'll do it. I run multiple email accounts. But I like the idea that they're the actions. Oh, look. See, there you go. There's three in there. Bottom one says podcast interviews with Brett. Delete. Gone. Gone. <laughs> there you go. And the top one is, yeah, there's two there. And the reason they're there, one is I have to renew one of my racing licenses and the other one is tickets for an event I want to buy. That's why they're there. And that's all that's in your inbox. That's all that's in my inbox. I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a good crack at that. Buddy, it's been so good speaking to you. It's good you to too, catch mate. up as always. Um, we've learned lots. Mate, your your life it's been is amazing. And from what you've done, you've gone full circle. You're now becoming a race driver, <laughs> which is which is really good because you, you can just see how happy you are when you talk about it and the passion. Thanks, mate. mate, congratulations on getting married recently. Thank you. Um, to your to your wonderful wife now. That's a bit beautiful weird, isn't it? Wife. Yeah. It's, uh, it's weird, but it's great. Mate, that's awesome. So good luck to both of you. Mate, wonderful speaking. And as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks, bud. Hey guys, thanks for listening. What an amazing human. Don't forget to hit us up on all the social channels at BJ Macker and look out for more Meteorate Podcast.